All right, let's read. Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple, but he answered them, You see all these, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be one left here, one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And Jesus answered them, see that no one leads you astray for many will come in my name saying I am the Christ and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by the nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another and many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the world, throughout the whole world, as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the leader understand the reader understand then those who are in judah flee to the mountains let the one who is on the housetop not go down to take what is in his house and let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak and alas for women who are pregnant in those who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days pray that your flight may not be in winter or on a sabbath for then there will be great tribulation such as, such as not been seen from the beginning of the world until now. No, and never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders, so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. See, I've told you beforehand. So if they say to you, look, he is in the wilderness, do not go out. If they say, look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Whoever, wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of heaven will be shaken. Then will appear in the heaven, in the, heaven the, sun, the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds and from, the, from one end of heaven to the other. From the fig tree learn its lesson, as soon as the branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also when you see these things, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until these things have taken place. <coughs> Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even angels of heaven nor sun, but only 
the Father, but Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the, the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field, one will be, one will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and one left. Therefore stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief would, was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his, let his house be broken into. Therefore you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Who then is faithful? Who then is the wise and the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over the household to give him their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and an hour when he does not know and will cut him into pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Pretty heavy stuff there. Um, I'm going to pray before the children are dismissed. Is there anybody here that has been praying for another for a period of time um, that would like them prayed for now. I know I've been praying for quite a few people in my family and friends. If you could just raise your hand if you have someone in your life that needs prayer that you've been praying for. I just want to include them in our prayer this morning. Dear Lord, I just come before you, we come before you, with our hands lifted to you, Lord, with those on our hearts that we desire for you to do a change in, for you to make a difference in, Lord. We just lift them to you. Ask, Lord, that you would uh, send your angels, dispatch them as many as it takes, Lord, to do the work that you have designed for these people. And Lord, I pray also for this congregation. I pray, Lord, that you would, all, you would give us all wisdom, that you'd give us eyes to see and ears to hear, Lord, all the things that Jackie is going to bring to us. We pray for Jackie, Lord, that you would help him to deliver the word as you have intended it to be delivered. Lord, that you would uh, give him great wisdom and um, just allow him to speak freely the things that he has been shown and wants to deliver to us. And Lord, we pray for the teachers of the children that are uh, waiting for these kids to come. Pray that you'd bless them, that you'd anoint them for their service, Lord. Pray for the kids too, Lord, that you would help them to pay attention, Lord, that you would uh, open their hearts to see and hear you, Lord, that they would receive you as quickly as possible. And Lord, we just thank you for who you are, what you do, and how you do it. And we say this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, kiddos, you can scram. <laughs> Scramming kiddos. Have fun, guys. All right. The gauntlet has been thrown. <clears throat> yeah, I'm only going to finish to verse 35 t today. So <clears throat> that's quite the feat in and of itself. So we look at Matthew 24. Let me give you some, just a quick overview and then we'll jump in. Uh, first off, we see two questions Jesus being asked. The first one, 
When is the temple going to be destroyed is going to be answered in verses 1 through 35. And I'll explain why as we work our way through that. Then the second question, you're coming, 36 all the way through chapter 25. And the message of his coming to us is going to be this. Are you ready? Be ready. You've heard that before, right? Be ready. Be ready. Be ready. So we'll pick that up next week when we start 36. Right now, we're in the part that Jesus is answering when he said, not one stone will be left on another. And they say, when? When's this going to happen? And first, he lays out the non-signs. We looked at all those. And we talked about the four horsemen of the apocalypse, right? As a non-sign, the idea of judgment, God's judgment on the nations. He uses other nations to judge the nations. Has there been a time in history where we have not had war, pestilence, famine, and deceit? So far as I know, that's a, that's a common. And remember what Jesus said after that? He said, this, the end is not yet. This is not it. But he did tell us the sign in verse 15. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, and you have a parenthetical statement there. Let the reader understand. That parenthetical statement is an echo of what you see in Daniel 12.10. In Daniel 12.10, he says, Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked, they will act wickedly. And none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. So Daniel says, hey, there's a, here's the idea. Let him who is wise, let him, uh, let the reader understand what we're looking at. And we remember last time we talked about the reality. There are four mentions, three specific mentions of the abomination of desolation. Uh, one unspecific that's out of the New Testament that we'll look at real quick. And those three are in, all of them are in the book of Daniel. So in the book of Daniel, you have Daniel 9, the 70 weeks prophecy of Daniel, which has the mention of the abomination of desolation. You have Daniel 11, which has the mention of an abomination of desolation. And you have Daniel 12, which has the mention of an abomination of desolation. <laughs> they can all three be talking about the same one. Uh, but it's a little doubtful. Daniel 11 seems to be Antiochus IV. Maybe you've heard of him. Antiochus, uh, um, the slaughter of the pigs in the temple, the Maccabean revolt, the celebration of Hanukkah, all that comes as a result of, of that abomination of desolation, <laughs> which uh, occurred in history. Daniel 9, some people, when they, when they look at Daniel 9 and the 70 weeks prophecy, they put a gap between the 69th and the 70th week. And in doing that, you have a future abomination of desolation that we're still looking for. Other people, when they look at the 70-week prophecy of Daniel, don't put in a gap. And they see it all fulfilled in AD 70. The same thing can be said for Daniel 12. So depending on which interpretive presupposition you come with, you, you have a, a different result. <laughs> in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, you have the New Testament reference of an abomination of desolation spoken of by Paul. Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed either by spirit or spoken word or letter seemingly from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one deceive you in any way. That day will not come unless a rebellion comes first. 
the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God and proclaims himself to be God. So this is a future event in a temple that's not built yet with a world leader standing in the place uh, that he ought not stand in the temple and proclaiming him to be God. As, as near as I can understand it, I see no way to see uh, 2 Thessalonians 2, 1 through 4 as a, as a past event. So when we look at this section, when Jesus says, when you see the abomination spoken of by Daniel the prophet, we understand that there are three mentions and one of those three mentions could certainly be what took place in AD 70 in the destruction of Jerusalem. So when we look at it, he's telling them, he's warning them to be aware of this destruction that's coming and to escape, to not stay in Jerusalem when that judgment comes. He said in verse 15, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, and then he gives us warning, then let those who are in Judea flee. This is a local judgment. It's not a global judgment. Later on, we'll see global judgments. You guys have read the book of Revelation, right? Okay, so here, if, if, the, if what was happening in the book of Revelation is what he's talking about in Matthew 24, how will running to the mountains of Judea help you? If you're sitting here, if you're in Idaho, how's running? Are we supposed to get plane tickets? No, he's talking to the people in Jerusalem, right? He's talking to them. Look, if you want to understand that more completely, just read Luke 21. And Luke 21, instead of the abomination of desolation, Luke says, when you see the armies surrounding Jerusalem, get out of town. And he uses the exact same language from Matthew 24. Jesus is talking about the destruction of the temple and he's letting them know how it is that they can escape the destruction of the temple. So when you see these things happen, get to the mountains, get out of the city. Get out of the city. Now in their world, in the ancient world, when armies came, what did people do? They didn't run to the mountains. What do they do? You go into the city. But Jesus knows that when that army sets their their siege up around Jerusalem, that the people in Jerusalem are going to starve to death. So he gives them a prophecy. Now, can anyone listen to that prophecy? Absolutely. Who are the most likely ones to listen to the prophecy that Jesus gave? Believers, right? Followers of Jesus Christ, who at this time are primarily Jews. This is where you're going to see the remnant of the nation of Israel escape the judgment that comes upon Jerusalem. You guys have ever heard of the remnant in the Bible, right? You've seen the remnant escape before when judgment would come. In Ezekiel, the remnant were those who were taken as slaves. That's the group that God is going to bring back to reestablish the nation. In the same way, you have this message Jesus giving to his disciples. His disciples are going to stay right there in Jerusalem for 40 years preaching until the armies surround. And then they're going to do what Jesus said, which is what? Run to the mountains. Get out of town. 
Does he say, take your time, pack your stuff when it happens? No, what's he say? Let the one who's on the housetop not go back into his house. How many of you guys are spending a lot of time on your housetop? So is this a specific? Is this, yeah, the roofers. <laughs> I, forgot about the, I forgot about Don. Don spends a lot of time on the roof. So he says, if you're on the roof, don't even go down and get your stuff. Don't grab your cloak. Don't do anything. Get out. Get out. So is it urgent? This is urgent, right? When you see these things happen, get out. Leave. Let no one who is in the field even go back to get his cloak. Now, the cloak was something that they slept in. It's like your blanket that you can throw over yourself. And when they'd go to work, it's cool in the morning, they'd take their cloak with them, lay it down on the edge of the field, go in and, and work. And he's saying, when, if this stuff starts happening, you see them armies coming, don't even go get your cloak. Just go. Go to the mountains. And alas, for women who are pregnant and those who are nursing infants in those days, He's like, this is going to be hard. This will be a hardship. There's going to be great difficulty. So pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath day. Now we happen to know when their flight was. It was in the spring. That's when Titus Vespasian brought the Roman legions to encircle the city. So they, were, they didn't. It wasn't in winter. Now I want you to understand all of these things that Jesus is talking about in Matthew 24, God already warned the nation of Israel about in Deuteronomy 28. This is not shocking news to them. In Deuteronomy 28, the Lord says, The Lord will bring a nation against you from far away, from the end of the earth, swooping down like an eagle. What was the standard of Rome? Curious, no? A nation whose language you do not understand, a hard-faced nation who will not respect old or show mercy to the young. You should read Daniel's description of the fourth beast that crushes nations because it kind of sounds like what God told the nation in Deuteronomy. A hard-faced nation. Uh, it shall eat the offspring of your cattle and the fruit of your ground until you are destroyed. And when the armies would come and lay siege to a city, you know, all your crops were planted outside the walls. And if you didn't get the time to bring that in, who ate it? You think they didn't have big supply trains back then or planes that could fly and drop stuff or trains or big trucks. So they would just take all your fields, all your crops, all your goats, all the things that were in the area around the city and they eat it all. That's how they would take care of their army. It says they're going to eat everything until you are destroyed. And it also shall leave you, shall not leave you grain, wine, oil, the increase of your herds or the young of your flock until they have caused you to perish. You're going to starve to death. They will besiege you in your towns until, uh, until your high and fortified walls in which you trusted have come down throughout all your land. They will besiege you in all your towns throughout all the land which the Lord your God has given you. And you will eat the fruit of your womb. You're going to eat your children. You will eat the fruit of your womb, the flesh of your sons and daughters, whom the Lord your God has given you in the siege and in the distress with which your enemies will distress you. The man who is the most tender and refined among you will begrudge food to his brother and to the wife he embraces 
and to the last of his children whom he has left, so that he will not give any to them of any of the flesh of his children whom he is eating. So it's saying this nice, kind man who's eating his own children is not going to share with any of the other people in his family. The most tender and refined woman among you who would not venture to set the sole of her foot on the ground because she's so delicate and tender will begrudge to her husband that she embraces or to her son or daughter the afterbirth which comes out from between her feet and her children whom she bears because lacking everything she will eat them secretly in the siege and in the distress with which your enemy will distress you in your towns. Now the people who did not listen to the prophecy of Jesus would flee into the city. And you can read this account from out of Deuteronomy 28 in Eusebius and in Josephus. As Roman soldiers would see someone that was cooking something and they go to see what they were cooking and just to find that they were eating their children. So these events occurred. So when Jesus said, why are you mourning for me? Mourn for yourself and for your children. He sees what's coming in the destruction of Jerusalem. And in Matthew 24, he's telling them how to escape it. If you will listen to the voice of the Lord your God, you don't have to go through this. Now, has the nation of Israel ever been stiff-necked before? How many times did Jeremiah tell them to lay down their swords and just be arrested and they could have a life? But they would not listen. Now, there were those who did listen to what Jesus said. They were those who would be raised up under the disciples after Jesus' ascension into heaven who maintained their place in Jerusalem until this happened. And then they left. And each one of those disciples uh, who had not lost their life prior is going to die on another place in another land somewhere away from Israel. But they stayed until this day. They were faithful until this time. Verse 21 says, For then there will be great tribulation. Now, we're so used to talking about the great tribulation. Every time you see those two words together, you think that's what he's talking about. But just so you know, those aren't specific titles, it's just words. The word great, as in really bad, and philipsis, uh, tribulation, trouble, persecution. Has there ever been great persecution or affliction that was not the great tribulation at the end of days? Yeah, we read about it in the book of Acts. You remember? All the stuff that was happening to believers, <clears throat> all the things that they were going through, all the stuff that was going on. In Acts 7.11, exact same phrase is used says, now there came a famine throughout all Egypt and Canaan and great affliction. Now, why they chose the word affliction for Thalipsis, I have no idea. But it is the exact same Greek words as the great tribulation. They're, he's rehearsing the history. Remember the famine that caused the nation of Israel to go back to Joseph 
You remember? The Bible called that a great tribulation. The great tribulation. There was great tribulation in those days. So we need to not panic every time you see those two words together and think we're talking always about the great tribulation at the end of days. Remember, Jesus is answering a question here. He's telling them when the temple's going to be destroyed. And in that day, there will be great tribulation. People are going to eat their children. It's going to be a bad time, bad days. And he uses this phrase, and we also panic about this phrase. Such as not been from the beginning of the world until now, no, and ever will be. And we read that and we think, well, that, that defines it. It's the worst time ever in the history of the world. Okay. It's hyperbole. I know, I know. Well, let me give you some examples. Josiah was the best king ever. There'll never be another king like him. There wasn't one before him, and there'll never be one after him. You can read it. You know the next king? Hezekiah, the greatest king ever. Never be another king like him. Never be, there's never been one like him before. And what are they saying? This is the best king ever. This is, they say the same thing about David? Absolutely, they say the same thing about David. We struggle with the idea that there, there's no, you and I, we can use a figure of speech, Right? We can say, you know what? I caught the biggest fish ever. Do you really think it's the biggest fish ever? Not if I caught it, huh? Yeah. I know that's what Don's thinking. Not if you caught it. <clears throat> but we say things like that. Now, listen, I, I just want you to say, I just want you to just do this. Okay, you don't have to buy anything I'm saying. You can scrap it all, believe whatever you want. There's no, you don't win a special prize for agreeing with Jackie. Just let the Bible define it. How about that? Let's not let our system define it. Let's not let our presuppositions define it. Just let the Bible tell us what it means. Search the Bible for every time this phrase is used. I'll tell you when you found them all. There's 12. 12 times this phrase is used. In Ezekiel 5.9, speaking of Jerusalem's destruction in 586 B.C., he says, Because of all your abominations, I will do with you what I have never done and the like of which I will never do again. That was 586. They're about to be destroyed again in 70 A.D. You have the same phrase. Exodus 11.6, there will be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as never been nor ever will be again. That was what was spoken of about the nation of Egypt. And by the way, it happened. Yeah, you guys remember the death of the firstborn? Daniel 12.1 says, And at that time shall arise Michael, the great prince, who has charge of your people, and there will be a time of trouble such as never been since there was a nation until that time. Now, there's a few things that these phrases mean. They mean that the, the tribulation that we're seeing exists in time. It means there's time before it and there's time after it. Otherwise, you'd have no way to say it's the worst it will ever be. Do you understand? So it lodges the prophecy or the word that's being given in time. 
which it would agree with our, our end time uh, view, no? We look at the, the, what do you call the battle of Armageddon? That's not very bad. It's just moderate. <laughs> and then we go to the, the millennial reign in, in Revelation chapter 20, and it happens again, right? Gog and Magog rise up again. There's a war. The, the devil's released. You guys have all heard this before, right? Is that just moderate? No. So when we look at it and we look at what the Bible says about it, it helps inform our presuppositions. There's no quick pass through the word of God. If you're going to be a student of the word, then it takes time to look these things up, to pay attention to what scripture is describing. So there's going to be a very severe tribulation, <clears throat> certainly the worst tribulation of their days, right? Because I'm pretty sure those moms who ate their babies never thought they would do that. And probably only heard stories of, of an event like that 500 years earlier. That's a long time ago, right? So it's a severe tribulation, severe persecution, and we understand the figure of speech. This is not a joke. This is really bad. It does not mean this is the end of days. This is really bad. Jesus is answering the question, when is the temple going to be destroyed? Luke gives us clarification in Luke 21, verse 20. He says, but when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know its desolation has come. So instead of using abomination of desolation, the writer of Luke, he says, when you see the armies surrounding. Now, when we, as students of the word of God, study the word of God, we are typically what you call harmonizers. Do you guys know what that means? A harmonizer means if you read a story about a blind man being healed in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and everything seems to be the same, but there's a few details off here and there, we harmonize the story. We lay the, 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 the description one on top of the other so we get a full representation of what happened. Does that make sense? The other choice you have is to be a splitter who says, nope, these are four different blind guys because the stories are a little different. Now, you have to choose what you're going to be, but I'm here to tell you the majority of Bible teachers and scholars today are, are uh, harmonizers. It's always been that way until we get to Matthew 24. And then everybody wants to look at Matthew 24 as though it's pulled out of the story and it's looking forward to the great tribulation, the seven-year tribulation, the coming of Antichrist, and they ignore the harmonization that would be required with Mark 13 and Luke 21. Why would we do that? My point in Bible study is be consistent with what you do. So if I'm a harmonizer 90% of the time, I should work at being one 100% of the time. You get what I'm saying? Otherwise, I am, or, or I have to have a reason not to. Amen? So look, you got a biblical reason not to do it? Hallelujah, don't do it. Don't do it. But that, it, that requires our time, right? Spending time in the text, understanding what is the text telling me, what's it laying out for me. Now, I firmly believe Matthew 24 is rooted in history. It's primarily the beginning, first 35 verses, 
about the destruction of the temple and the end of Jerusalem in AD 70. And then from 36, he's going to start telling us now of that day, nobody knows. Now he's talking about his return. And you know what all the parables about his return are going to be? Be ready. Be ready. Be ready. Well, that makes sense, right? So when we, as we look at this text, as we work our way through this text, and if you remember, I told you the key to why I say that is we'll see in verse 34, which we get to in 20 minutes. And we'll be fine. <laughs> okay. So I just want us to, I want to take enough time so that you can understand kind of the points that I make in verse 22. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Now, my purposes is I do Bible study. I only see one group of elect. I understand there are people who disagree with that. That's okay. We should be able to disagree and still be brothers. No? We should be able to say, not see everything exactly the same and still remain part of the same family. I would hope we could do that. But I only see one group of elect, and that is the believing. The believing Israel, believing church, the believing tribulation, the believing, I don't, I don't define any of those terms. If they're believing, we're elect, okay? So when he says, look, unless those days have been shortened, nobody would have lived. That siege could have killed every living person there, but for the sake of the elect, for the remnant that was there, God shortened the days. Everyone could have died in Jerusalem unless the Lord shortened the time. Now, I know more commonly we look at that and we say, now, unless the Lord had shortened the time and it was, it was not more than seven years, there'd be no flesh remain. But we haven't changed the meaning of the text, have we? Still the same, no? Unless the Lord shortened the time, I'm just saying the time he's talking about is the time that we're looking at in, uh, in Luke 21, Mark 13, and Matthew 24, the destruction of the temple, which occurred in AD 70. No human being would have made it through. The Lord does this throughout Scripture, doesn't he? Remember Abraham when he's talking to God and the angels are coming to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah and he starts his countdown? You guys remember? What if there's 50 righteous? What's the Lord say? I wouldn't destroy the city for 50 righteous. All right, now what he's saying in Matthew 24 is the remnant is there and because the remnant is there, God doesn't pour out the full vent of his fury on Jerusalem. They don't all get obliterated. Because God knows how to spare the righteous and judge the wicked. Amen? He's been doing it since Genesis. He knows how to accomplish his purpose. And I would say that this is what he's talking about. Now, he's going to warn against deceit in verse 23. Now, if anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ, or there he is, don't believe it. He's already warned us about deceit earlier, right? And remember, the word for Christ, I know we, we see title. It's the word Messiah. Messiah. And when we think about Messiah, the Mashiach Nagid, we think of a title. This is Messiah. But what it means is the anointed one. What it means is a ruler. What it means is a prince. Have you ever had a political leader come on the scene and tell you he has all the answers? 
when Israel was surrounded or when Jerusalem was surrounded by the Romans, do you really think the political leaders in Jerusalem never stood up and said, don't worry, we have a solution? And if the people living in Jerusalem believed that lie, they would stay. That ever happened in history? Yes, 586 B.C. when Jeremiah the prophet was telling the people, surrender and live, there were other leaders saying, no, 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 God's going to deliver us. No, 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 God's going to deliver us. The zealots up on the temple mount that slaughtered all the priests were telling the people, don't worry, God's going to deliver us. Except they were wrong, right? And I would... I would say that what I, what I think is when the Bible says false Christ, it's not just someone who says, I'm Jesus. There are weird people who do that too, right? But it's just saying someone who comes on the, sign, comes on the scene and says, don't listen to those disciples. I'm going to show you the way out of here. So he says, when you hear the false Christ, false people, and they say, go here or go there. He's out in the wilderness. He's in the inner room. He says, don't listen to them. For false Christs and false prophets, exactly what happened in the destruction of Jerusalem under Babylon. You can have one preacher stand up and say one thing and another preacher stand up and say another. You guys ever watch YouTube? If you spend any time on YouTube at all, you will eventually find the heretic hunters who will have named everyone a heretic but themselves. Sometimes it's legitimate. Sometimes they're right. Sometimes they're not. They are so focused on finding the wrong in everyone else and building walls and building division that you end up with a, a, a segregated and segmented body of Christ. Yeah, super tribal, hyper tribal. And then when I read John 17, I hear Jesus praying for the church and saying, Lord, let them be one like you and I are one. I have a hard time looking at those guys and thinking they're doing the work of God. Right, don't get me wrong, doctrine matters. Hallelujah, let's work on doctrine. Let's talk it out. Let's... But let's work on it at a round table where there's no head. And when it's over, let's shake hands and keep moving forward. Shields linked, accomplishing the purpose of God. And not say, you know what, because you don't agree with me and I'm the keeper of all truth, I'm cutting you off. Does that happen today? So we, we want to see... That unity, false Christ, false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect, the believing remnant that's there in Jerusalem could look and they could see, hey, these guys, man, they, I see them doing things. I see them, it seems like God's blessing on them and they're telling us to do something different than what Jesus said to do. Well, there's your clue. Right? Isn't that what Deuteronomy tells us? How do you discover a false prophet? It's not whether or not they can do signs. It's whether or not they are in agreement with the word of God. That anytime someone comes to me and they say, you know, the Lord told me I'm supposed to hate my brother. It's, it's, that's easy. No, he didn't. 
I'm not going to have a hard time finding scriptures that say love your brother, am I? No, it's all over the place. So you want to define what is a false prophet? They say something different than what Jesus said. So Jesus is telling his disciples, hey, be aware. There will be guys who show up while the siege is getting ready to take place, and they're going to tell you something different than I'm saying. And his point is, don't listen. You do what I told you. You do what I told you when you see these things take place. Doesn't matter what they say. Look, he's in the wilderness. Let's go there. Jesus didn't say run to the wilderness. Where did he say? Run to the mountains. You think it matters? Look, I don't know. But if Jesus tells me go to the mountains, I'm not going to the desert. <laughs> That's the distinction. Their wilderness is not like ours. When I think wilderness, I think the forest. And when you study the scriptures, they call the wilderness the God-forsaken desert. Jesus says, if they say go to the desert, don't go there. If they say he's in the city, in the inner room, Jesus says, don't go there. Where did I tell you to go? Flee to the mountains. Flee to the mountains. Don't pack. Don't grab your stuff. Get out of town. Get out of town. This is the message Jesus has given them about the siege that's going to come in the destruction of the nation of Israel. Now, verse 27, he says, For as lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. And I know we want to look at that and we want to say, this is God's deliverance. This is the day he shows up and he takes us away. But there's another phrase right behind that. You guys see it? Wherever the corpse is, the vultures will gather. Does that sound good? Let's stay in the text. As lightning shines from east to the west, and I love it because if you were sitting in Jerusalem, you would see it, right? Lightning going from the east to the west. If you come with us to Jerusalem in, in uh, uh, 2024, when we take our trip there, you can sit out on the beach and watch the rockets that are being lobbed towards you get picked off by the Iron Dome, and it looks, don't think I'm joking. We did that. Are you afraid? Why you got to be afraid? Jesus said, don't be afraid of those things. He said, these aren't the things to be afraid about. But you see all these lights in the sky. Boy, you can see it. Lightning go across from the east to the west. If we see a lightning storm, we see it here in Buell, right? We can look out in the distance and see the lightning storm. Yeah, they see it in Florida, only if they're having one. They see it in China, only if they're having one. The coming of the Son of Man, you're going to see it, Jesus is saying. It's local, it's here, you need to get to the mountains. When you see the events that are coming up, it's going to be right here, and it's bad. This is not a coming where I'm going to come to save you. This is a coming in judgment. Does the Bible give us uh, descriptions of the Lord coming in judgment? All right, we don't have to, go, we don't have to jump through hoops. There's examples Amos, we just studied Amos on Wednesday nights. Amos 5.18 says, Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Now, why would it say that? Well, he's going to tell us. Why would you have the day of the Lord? It's darkness, not light. It's like a man fleeing from a lion and getting eaten by a bear. 
Or he went into his house and leaned his hand against the wall and was bit by a serpent. It's a bad day, the day of the Lord, because it's a day of judgment. When the Lord returns, right, we are all longing for that return because we're believers in Jesus Christ. We're not, we're not under wrath, are we? But will it also be a day of wrath? Yeah, that's a day of wrath. God pours out his judgment, right? God pours out his judgment. Devastation is coming. And he's warning them, this devastation is coming, and it's going to come locally. And where the corpses are, there's vultures. So he's talking about the signs, and he's saying, look, here the lightning shines from the east and the west. The Lord's going to come, and there's going to be bodies everywhere. This is not the first time you read something like this. You ever read Revelation 19? That's the Lord returning, right? Revelation 19, the battle of Armageddon, when God calls all the birds, the the fowl of the air to meet at the great the feast of the great God where he destroys the rebellious? Yeah, man, that's, that's Jesus' return. He destroys them with the sword that proceeds out of his mouth. Revelation 19, day of the Lord. And this is, the Bible's full of what I call little day of the Lord. The day of the Lord for Jerusalem. There was a day of the Lord for Babylon, right? Yeah, there was a day of the Lord for Assyria. There was a day of the Lord for Sodom and Gomorrah. There's a day of the Lord for Nineveh. There's a day of the Lord. We see God's judgment come down at whatever time God has decided that that nation, their time's up, and the Lord pours out his judgment. And it's a bad day. And so this is what the Lord is declaring to them. He's saying, listen, this day is coming. Lightning, just like lightning comes from the east to the west. I guarantee you start to see it, it's coming. <clears throat> it's coming, and it's going to be a day of devastation. Look at verse 29. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from the sky. Now again, when we come here, I would say, Slow your presuppositions down. Okay? For a hundred years, I would say, well, that can't have happened yet because the sun's still in the sky, the moon's still there, the stars are still there. So we're looking for this day. Except that the Bible uses this language. It's a direct quote from Isaiah 13. In Isaiah 13, it's talking about the destruction of Babylon. It says, For the stars of the heaven and their constellations will not give their light. The sun will be dark and the moon will not shed its light. Now, when we think about it, here's what I want you to think about. The Bible tells us that God is sovereign over the nations. Amen? He raises nations up and he brings nations down. Right? Now, the scripture will declare... You guys can challenge me on Monday because I don't have it with me today. Uh, the scriptures will declare when God raises a nation up, there's a scripture where he declares that the sun will shine seven times brighter because their light is better because of God's blessing and lifting them up. And then there are times where the Lord says, I'm going to put your light out. Does that sound familiar to anybody? I'm going to put your light out. You ever read Revelation? Seven letters to seven churches? 
there are three specific warnings to, to three churches where Jesus says, if you don't repent, I will come to you and take your, I'm going to take away your light, your influence, your ability to impact the world around you, however you want to look at it. The day after this judgment falls on Jerusalem, Jerusalem has no say in the world anymore, right? For 2,000 years. It's a long time. 1948. We got anybody born in 1948 here? Oh, Lord, there's one of us. Wow, Phil. Dang. That's, uh, you're the oldest guy in church? 1948. There's going to be no Israel till 1948. From 70 AD to 1948. That's a long time. That's a long. The Lord's saying, look, I'm going to put the light out. The sun will be dark. The moon won't give its light. Stars will fall from the sky. Your ability to have any say in world events is going away. He said the same thing to Babylon. In fact, Isaiah 13, where this quote is from, verse 10, and Isaiah 13, verse 17, he describes it. Isaiah says, behold, I am stirring up the Medes. You guys remember the statue of Daniel who took out Babylon? The Medo-Persians. Yeah, right here, the Medes. I'm stirring up the Medes against them who have no regard for silver or gold. Their bows will slaughter the young men. They will have no mercy on the fruit of the womb. The eyes will not pity children. Babylon, the glory of kingdoms, the splendor and pomp of the Chaldeans will be like Sodom and Gomorrah. So the reference, right, that is being quoted by Jesus out of Isaiah 13 is about the end of Babylon as a nation. The Babylonians go away. And the Medo-Persians take over. And the sun didn't shine and the moon didn't give its light and the stars fall from the sky. There's no, their light is being put out. That happened in 539 B.C. That occurred in 539. Now, the reason I'm bringing it up is because I want you to understand that the sun didn't literally turn off in 539. It is a figure of speech. He's describing their light is getting put out. Just like Jesus said in Revelation, if you don't repent as a church, I'm going to come put out your light. No more light for you. In Ezekiel 32, verse 7, he says, When I blot you out, I will cover the heavens and make the stars dark. I will cover the sun with a cloud, and the moon will not give its light. That happened when Egypt was conquered. That prophecy has been fulfilled. Same phrasing is being used. I'm going to put out your light. Your light is going out. The Lord declares that he will shake everything that can be shaken, right? So that only that which cannot be shaken will remain. In Joel chapter 2, which we see quoted in Acts, right, on the day of Pentecost, this is what Joel spoke of, Joel 2, 
30 and 31 says, I will show you wonders in heavens and on the earth, blood, fire, calms of smoke, the sun turned to darkness and moon turned to blood before the day of the, or the, before the great and awesome day when the Lord comes. Hebrews 12 tells us at that time, his voice, God's voice shook the heavens. But now as he promised yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken. What was being removed in AD 70? The temple. What's the temple now? What did Jesus say in John chapter 2? Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it back again. So what temple is he talking about? He's talking about his body. Paul will... will build that even to a greater degree and say, do you not know that you are the temple of God individually? And then in 1 Corinthians 16, he also goes on to say, don't you know you corporately are the temple of God? Peter would say, you're being built, living stones put together as a royal priesthood. Oh, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? It ought to, because it's a direct quote from the Old Testament for the nation of Israel. Everything that can be shaken is going to be brought down in order that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. We're going to shake, and what falls, we let fall. We don't prop it up, we let it go. And we have what will remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. In Daniel's dream of the statue, was there eventually a kingdom that was stable? Remember the rock that came out of the heavens, struck the statue in the feet? turned it into powder, and that rock grew into a mountain that filled the whole earth. And Daniel, in getting an interpretation of the dream, says, this is the kingdom of the Lord, which will never pass away. This is the eternal kingdom. Therefore, let us be grateful, receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Verse 30. See, we're going to make it. I'm not even late yet. It's 1129. <clears throat> okay, you guys are going to be a little late. <laughs> then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. As soon as he starts talking about the Son of Man, he's quoting from Daniel 7. When you have time this week, I would encourage you to go read Daniel 7. Daniel 7 is about the vindication of the Son of Man. The final kingdom, the Roman Empire, is going to look like they can defeat the Son of Man. But then the Son of Man will be exalted. He will come before the Ancient of Days and receive a throne and a kingdom which will never end. And he will sit on the throne. He's sitting on that throne even now. What is the sign of the Son of Man? It's Daniel 7. The Son of Man is on the throne in heaven. If you remember the Apostles' Creed, I believe God the Father, maker of heaven and earth, and his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. 
who was conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, crucified, dead, buried. He descended into the grave on the third day. He rose again. He ascended into heaven. And what? It is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And from thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. So there he is on the throne in heaven. The sign of the Son of Man is the Son of Man in heaven on God's throne. Psalm 110 is, is the most often quoted psalm. It says, sit here until I make your enemies your footstool. That's the father talking to the son. He's been exalted. He's been vindicated. He was crucified, dead, buried, but he rose again, ascended into heaven, and is seated at the throne. And the next time Jesus comes, it's not as the lamb. The next time he comes, it's as the, the lion. And every knee will, and every tongue will, that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What a, what a glorious day we look for. This is the sign. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. And then all the tribes of the earth. The word for earth is the word Eretz. Eretz can also be translated land. So if he's talking about locality, if, if, if I'm right and this is the local area, Israel's judgment, the talking about the destruction of the temple in AD 70 and the end of Israel as a nation until 1948, if that's what Jesus is discussing, you could translate this, all the tribes of the land will mourn. Would that mean something different to you? All the tribes of the land will mourn. You know the tribes, there's 12 of them. Right? When their nation is being destroyed, you don't think they understand what's going on? When Rome is sieging them, you don't think they have a moment to remember the words that they're going to declare at the crucifixion of Christ? His blood be on us and... You know they said that, right? You know Jesus declared all the blood from righteous Abel to Zechariah of Berechai, whom you slain at the temple, is going to fall on this generation. So that judgment is coming. All the tribes are going to mourn. That's a quote, guys, from, from Zechariah. Zechariah 12.10. You guys, you guys are familiar with it. It says, Then they will look on me, the one whom they have pierced, and they will mourn as one mourns for an only son, and weep bitterly as one weeps over a firstborn. He's saying, I will pour out my, my spirit on the house of David, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, a spirit of grace, and mercy, and they will look on me. They will look on me. Now here, Jesus is quoting this in Matthew, and they will mourn all the tribes, same phrasing, all the tribes are going to mourn over the one whom they pierced. Perhaps. And then he will send out his angels, angelos, messengers, because after this happens, you know what happens to the gospel? Does it just stay in Israel? Where does it go? <laughs> I will send my angels, my messengers, to gather my elect, all who will believe. This isn't the reaping. It's not the same thing as the reaping. We're going to see the reaping in Revelation, right? We're going to see the reaping. 
I'm not saying there's not going to be a reaping. I'm not saying there's not a return of Christ. I'm just saying here he's talking about AD 70. We read Revelation, we can hear about the reaping that the angels have, right? The, 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 the destruction of the tares and the gathering of the elect. You guys have seen that, right? Jesus talks about it in Matthew 13. But here I'm saying he's talking about the gospel going from one end of heaven to the other. Global, everywhere, everywhere that it can go. Jesus said this in Matthew 16. Just want to remind you. The Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of the Father. And he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly I say to you, he's looking at his disciples right now. There are some standing here who will not taste of death until you see the Son of Man come in his kingdom. Now a lot of people think the very next thing that happens in the chapter is a transfiguration. And so they think, well, they saw the glory of God when they saw the transfiguration. And that may be right. They may be right. That's possible. It's also possible because he says some of you won't taste of death, but some of you will. Nobody died before the transfiguration, right? That's the next day. They all lived to that. But they did not all live to see the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70. In John 21, Jesus is telling Peter, hey, Peter, you're going to die, crucifixion. And Peter looks over at John and he says, what about that guy? You guys remember? And Jesus said, if I want him to remain until I come, what's that to you? You come and follow me. What if when Jesus said, if I want him to remain until I come, he's talking about his coming in judgment. Did John live to see that? Yeah. If I want him to remain till I come, what's that to you? You come and follow me. Now, last three verses, I'll let you go. We'll pick up the next part. I told you I'm going to get there. Now, we are going to make it happen. This is why, this is the explanation of why I say all the things we've read from here back up. There are people who say that's not right. Look, Jesus can talk about the future and then talk about now and then talk about the future and talk about now. He may. Look, I'm not trying to be dogmatic. I'm just trying to be consistent. So as I'm, as my, as I'm trying to be consistent, I will never divide over somebody who says, no, Jackie, you're crazy. I'll throw my arm around you and call you my brother. But when I look at it in verse 32, he says, from the fig tree, learn its lesson. I told you once upon a time they used to say this was Israel. Nobody says that now. Nobody says that now because they, they realize they can't hold that the fig tree is a symbol of Israel consistently because two chapters earlier it was cursed. You guys remember? Okay, so now from the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as this branch becomes tender and puts out leaves, you know summer is near. So this is a symbol. When you see the leaves, you know summer is near. When you see these things, you know time's up. Right? You know time's up. Luke makes it a little more clear. He says, when you see the fig tree and all the trees, when you see that the leaves are coming on to the trees, you realize summer's coming. Now, we know that because it looks like that outside right now. Anybody get tired of looking at gray skies, want to see blue? 
want to see green grass and green trees. And when we do, what's it a sign of? Oh, winter is over and summer is coming. Woohoo! Right? So this is what Luke and Matthew are saying. When you see the trees, when you see the signs, you know something's about to happen. In the same way, he's saying, so when you see all these things, you know it is near at the very gates. And then he says, and it will happen within 40 years. He says, truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things are fulfilled. Biblical generation is 40 years. The only reason it goes from 40 to 70 is 100 to 100 is because Jesus hasn't come back yet. Because from 1948, 40 years was 1988, where they released a book, 88 Reasons Why Jesus Was Coming Back in 88. And then he didn't come and they did a book, 89 Reasons He'll Come In. Look it up. It's real. And then they said, well, 40 is probably not going to work. Let's make it 70. And then 70 didn't work. Let's make it 80. And then 80 doesn't work. Let's make it 100. My point is this scripture where he says this generation will not pass away. He's talking to the disciples. These things I'm telling you about this temple being destroyed and Jerusalem being brought down. You guys are going to see it. So when you see these things start to happen, get the people ready and get them out of town. And so the Lord delivered the remnant. They were able to escape. The church grew. It, it spread around the world just exactly like Jesus said it was going to do. Because Jesus' words never fail. Isn't that what he says next? Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words never will. My words never will. So this is how I see the first 35 verses. I think that's all focused, same way in Luke, same way in Mark, different sections, but you get the idea that their focus is on the destruction of Jerusalem and preparing the people for what was going to happen within 40 years. But the rest of it is telling us how to be ready. The rest of it is telling us how to be prepared. The rest of it is saying, don't go to sleep the rest of it is telling us, don't just think, oh, Jesus never going to come. Because he's going to come. I will see his face. I will look into his eyes. I will feel his embrace. And I believe that to my bones. He will come again. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to go through your word, to study the word, to open it up, to see what scripture lays out. Lord, and I pray, God, that we would just understand maybe just this one thing. There are a lot of opinions about these things. So, God, I would just ask you to help us just try to be consistent. Hold fast to the word, but that we would not divide over this stuff. It's not worth dividing over. For we believe in God the Father. We believe in Jesus Christ, his son. 
we believe in the Holy Spirit. We believe in what you're doing. We believe you're coming again. Let this be the things we unite over, that we hold fast to. And may we be challenged to be students of the word and study to show yourself approved. God, I thank you that the pages, in my opinion, of Matthew 24 taught the disciples how much they need to trust you because you told them exactly what was going to happen in their life, and they were ready. And the church escaped. And that church was Jewish, the remnant of Israel. The promise that you would always get the remnant, the remnant would come through judgment. You did it, and you did it through 12 disciples, just like there were 12 tribes. And you you brought them out, and then you used those 12. And all the ministry that they had, who knows how many was in that group? 144,000? And now look at the ecclesia, the believers, men and women from every tribe, nation, and tongue gathered together with their eyes on their Savior looking forward to his return. A number that can't be counted just like you promised Abraham. You're going to have so many kids, Abraham, you won't, people won't even be able to count them. In Galatians chapter 3, Paul says that is fulfilled in the church. Wow. Look at all these things taking place so that we can know Jesus. He knows the end from the beginning. And he is able to keep me into that day. To give me the strength to go another day longing and looking for his soon return. For I believe he is coming again. God, we give you praise and glory. Help us grow, know, learn, draw near unto you that you will be glorified, that you would be magnified. For you are the purpose of history. Not me, not the church, not Israel, Jesus Christ. You are the focal point of it all. So may we keep our eyes on you, eyes on the prize, and may we walk together, arm in arm, hand in hand, as one, one family, one body, toward our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And may he be glorified in it. And may the world know that the Father sent him because they see how we love each other. God, I pray that you would pour out your spirit in this place and make us witnesses for you. And Lord, we, we ask your blessing and your touch now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.